Hello, and welcome to another episode of What Created the Creative. I got the chance to speak with Liz, former employee of Facebook, moved to San Francisco, lived all across Australia, and now settled in Marimbula to focus on her writing as an author. Liz and I got the chance to discuss and chat her journey, what it was like growing up, her hobbies, her passions, and how she always knew she wanted to be an author. We sat down in her beautiful home in Marimbula, and this is what happened. So I'm just going to start, Liz, by asking you to sort of give us a little bit of a description about who you are. Sure. Um, I guess I am a writer slash content strategist slash content designer. So I think that interprets to I get paid during the day (laughs) to do content strategy and design. Um, And then on the side, I write a bit of fiction. So I dabble in short stories and, um, and trying to tackle a novel at the moment. Very cool. Yeah. Does the novel have a title yet? No, it's a work in process. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Do you have any expected uh, like timeline or date uh, when you want to get this novel out by? Yeah, I would like to um, get a first draft done by this year because it's something that I've been kind of working on on the side for a long time. So I've had a bit of time at the start of this year to focus on it solely. So that's been really good to get a really good head start. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to be a lot more disciplined with my writing routine. I find um, like with any hobby or, or thing that you want to move towards, it's about the discipline. You can't just sort of wing it and do it willy-nilly. You almost have to treat it like a job and dedicate the hours and the time. Do you find with writing that like that dedication and setting up those time slots may not always be appropriate or, or you're not in the right space to work or write? Yeah, definitely. And I think this is why it's been something that I wanted to do for a very long time, like even as a kid, I wanted to be an author. Um, But it's always been hard to balance the time between my paid day job and um, kind of working on creative writing and then finding that creative space has been hard. So I think at times I've been quite good and disciplined and I'll wake up before work and say, work on something for an hour and then that's that has worked quite well in the past and like you kind of feel good because you've done your bit for the day um, and then often work kind of takes priority and takes a lot of energy out of you and so sometimes that can kind of slip to the side so I'm really trying to kind of keep up with that discipline because I think it's really it's really important yeah and it's kind of the only way to get it done <laughs> definitely are there any rituals that you have to set up or get your get your mind into that creative space? Um, well, at the moment, um, I'm lucky. So I moved back to Marimbula from the US in December and I have actually been concentrating solely on creative writing for the last few months. Um, so it's kind of just been waking up early, taking the dog for a walk because I think that's kind of a nice way to wake up and get a bit of fresh air and clear your mind. And then I feel that by the time I sit down at the desk, I'm ready to go. Um, often I'll look at 
what I did the day before just to kind of get your head in the zone if I'm not writing straight away. Um, and then I feel like I'm kind of doing something even if that's just editing yeah. what I've written the day before. Um, and then that can kind of just help you get into the flow and groove and start writing. It doesn't work that well every day though. <laughs> Never does. <laughs> um, so you mentioned just before that you sort of wanted to be an author from a very young age. If you can, can you take us through that sort of first memory you have of thinking, yeah, I want to be a, an author or a writer or be in that creative space? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think oh, I was a big reader from a very young age, as most writers are, um, and I think you kind of have to be. Um, it's interesting, when I was younger, I was really into fantasy, um, like I read a lot of I read the whole Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe series a lot of uh, several times and um, a lot of Tolkien as well. Um, and I think just reading those stories and being able to completely transport myself into different worlds, I just thought to have the ability to do that and give people that experience is a pretty incredible talent. Um, so if I was able to do that at some point, I thought, wow, what a job. <laughs> um when you were growing up, were your parents into reading or writing? Um, funnily enough, they're not, oh, not really, really big write, readers um, or writers for that matter. Um, my mum works as a nurse um, and then dad reads when he can. He's a forestry consultant. Um, so often he's quite busy with work and he's one of those people that reads them summer holidays and has his bedside table piled up with piles of books that he's been wanting to read all year. <laughs> yeah, sounds like my bedside table. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there were always, I mean, there were always books in the house and, um, yeah, it was very accessible and encouraged. Um, I probably am the one that recommends books to them though now <laughs> rather your, than the other way around. <laughs> what's your go-to recommendation at the moment? Oh, um I actually, oh, I just finished um, The Mint Lawn by Gillian Mears. It, um, she won the Vogel Prize for it um, and oh, years ago, but um, that, that was one of the best books that I've read this year. Um, what else am I reading at the moment? Um, hmm. That'll test me. <laughs> we can come back to it. <laughs> no, I am, I am trying to read um, biographies a little bit more at the moment yeah. um, and try to read things that I don't usually read. So generally I would read a lot of kind of literary fiction, um, but I'm finding biographies are helping a bit um, to kind of get me in the mind of a character um, mm -hmm. when I'm writing short stories and things because I think that kind of helps add that level of depth um, and you kind of learn about people's quirks and things and I'm finding that quite interesting. Yeah. Do you think that your exposure into like design and working with other creative people, is there anything you borrow from that realm to bring into your writing or in like I guess personas or like bios on people? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I think... Oh, any type of user research is is always um, 
Oh, I won't say good material, but it is inspiring because you're meeting a whole lot of different people and you're seeing how they kind of interact with um, uh, content and different ideas and um, they've got their own stories which are um, always fascinating to hear and learn from. I've found that um, since working more and more in design I've become more and more visual, so um, I'll map things out a lot more than I used to. Um, and I do that in work a lot as well. Um, so not exactly drawing wireframes or anything for a, a novel, but definitely drawing it out on a paper, piece of paper and, and mapping out a journey kind of um, to give myself the um, a bit more perspective. And I've found that that's been really helpful. Just jumping back to your childhood um, parents weren't big readers but obviously had books laying around. Was it something that you like were always doing, reading, or were there other sort of interests as you were growing up? Um, that was a big one. I think um, I was a very shy child and I was a bit of a daydreamer, so um, reading was kind of a big outlet for me. I was big into sport when I was a kid as well, so I played hockey and tennis and running and kind of put my hand up for anything as well in anything really. <laughs> um, we grew up in Canberra, so we we're outdoors a lot too. And I think, um, so on the weekends we'd go hiking and on picnics and um, that was definitely a big part of my childhood. Um, and I think is one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to move to Marimbula and get that space. I've, I've spent time in lots of big cities in, in Melbourne and Sydney and um, recently San Francisco. So it's really nice to be back in a place where you can kind of go out for bushwalks and go to the beach and, and go on picnics and it's all there at your door, doorstep. Um, yeah, because I think it's it's kind of inspiring to find that space. Um, yeah, I think I definitely agree. Um, like removing yourself from like that digital space now mm -hmm. and actually taking a step back and sort of regrounding yourself and getting back into things that you enjoy actually help in that whole creative space. Mm -hmm. I just sort of want to, you said earlier that the, you grew up, like we grew up in Canberra, you have brothers and sisters? or Yeah, I've got a younger sister. She's about 18 months younger than me, Kate, and then a younger brother, Andrew. So... Just out of curiosity, um, what do they do now? Uh, Kate is working as a, a marketing manager for a consulting company mm -hmm. um, in Melbourne and Andrew is working as a civil engineer on roads. Okay. Um, he's in Vancouver at the moment. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and sort of what sort of role, I guess, did they play when you were growing up all together and um, – was reading something that you guys did together or was it sort of your little special hobby? <laughs> it was kind of my thing. Um, Kate is not a big reader at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think she'll mind me saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andrew reads a bit. Um, we, yeah, we were all really close growing up. Um, I think Kate and I are very different personalities. So um, as often happens when you're close in age and um, very different personalities. Um, we kind of went our separate ways when we were teenagers, but now we're very close again now, which is really nice. Um, 
I think they would always come to me for book recommendations now. Okay. <laughs> but um yeah, it's interesting. They we've all kind of chosen quite different paths. Yeah, still seems very like centered around that designy creative sort of space. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's which is, true. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I always find it hard when people ask you for like a recommendation of like a book or a movie or something um, and giving them that. Yeah. Do you have any sort of advice to people to how to recommend <laughs> something, not just out of personal interest, but something for them? Um, yeah, I think I've started keeping track of books that I read. Um, so I think that that helps. Uh, I read a lot of reviews um, and so when I do – read about something that reminds me of someone else, I'll try and kind of make a, a mental note of it. But it is, it is hard. Um, and I think, I don't know, you pick up a lot just by talking to people. Um, and if you know people well enough, you know their reading habits, you know yeah. what they like. And there's nothing better than giving a good recommendation if they enjoy the movie or the book or whatever. And you've succeeded. <laughs> so win-win. Exactly. Um, so just staying back when you were younger, um, do you remember that the first short story or first piece of literature you ever wrote? Um, when I was in primary school, I reckon I would have been, oh, well, actually even earlier than that, um, in like year one or two, we, um, you know how you had those diaries and... Yeah. And you would have to write what you did on your holiday each day. It's funny, I um, um, saw a friend's kid recently and they're still doing that. <laughs> perfect. Um, so I definitely did that early on. But I remember when I was in year five and I wrote a story about my grandma who went to school in Melbourne um, and it was during World War II and they had to sew sandbags. Mm. Um, and so I made this folded the paper in half and laminated the cover and, and wrote her little story of sewing sandbags during the war and um, I was at the same school that she had gone to as well so there was that kind of connection there as well. Do you still have that story? I do actually. I found it the other day. <laughs> you might grab a photo of it. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so year five, you're sort of starting to understand how to write. Um from there, did you still have that desire or dream to be an author or were things starting to influence your trajectory? Um, I think school definitely encouraged my writing career um, just because I did quite well in English. That was always a subject that I enjoyed the most and um, I I guess was was most successful in, so I was very lucky to have good teachers that encouraged that kind of all the way through from primary school through to high school. Um, so it just kind of seemed like a natural path. Um, that was always the strength. I tried sciences and things, but I was just never as interested in, in that side. I don't have as much of an analytical brain and prefer to be daydreaming and playing with words. <laughs> Were your friends in the similar sort of like idea of like writing and learning or English or were they more in like the creative space or the sporting 
space? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, oh, whole, whole mix. I, I think a lot of my friends were quite sporty, uh, definitely. Um, I don't know, that was always a big, a big part of school. Um, and I always found it a really good break from studying and um, working anyway, and I still find exercise a good break when work gets too hard or you get stuck on something. I think the best way to kind of get out of that place is by going for a walk, going for a run. Um, so I've definitely carried that on. Um, in terms of friends enjoying reading and writing, definitely, um, but probably not um, really until I got to university was I really surrounded by people who really were passionate about um, literature and writing and um, kind of we were all, but I mean that's natural. I was studying media and communications, I was yeah. doing a major in literature so I was going to be surrounded by those types of people um, whereas school you've got more of a mixed bag of people who are still figuring themselves out, they're kind of interested in all sorts of things but there were definitely a lot of creative people um, Art in high, I did art in high school and that was um, a really great space to go to. It was kind of the art school was in this big warehouse and it just never felt like homework. You'd just go there and the art teacher would have music playing and everyone was working on different things and, and that was always an ex inspiring and exciting place to be around. Did you ever start to merge like the art space and the literature space together when you were... No, <laughs> not really. Um, no, I kind of, well, in terms of art, I um, kind of focused on, on painting. I, I did a little bit of photography. Um, and they always, I think in you kind of get into the same headspace, um, but they, I never combined the two. I never kind of thought I was going to create a graphic novel or something yeah, okay. like that or yeah. illustrate a, a book. <laughs> I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> never know. Yeah. Um, so jump forward a little bit and we're in high school and as like we all go through this change and, and sort of start to understand a bit more around the world um, and how things are playing out. Um, and you start to realize like there's career paths and things you have to start to focus on and, and choose. Were you still adamant that you were going to be an author? So by the time I was in year 12, I was adamant I wanted to be a journalist. Um, and so that's, I ended up doing media and communications at university. Um, I soon did some work experience, um, and quickly realised I didn't really want to be a journalist. That mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that's quite different from being an author. <laughs> Where was the? You obviously don't have to say the company's name, but that was in Canberra. The work experience, or no? This Sydney. was in Melbourne, Melbourne. Sorry. So I moved from Canberra when I was about ten. Okay. So I did the bulk of my teenage growing up in Melbourne. Um, yeah, I did some work experience with a couple of newspapers, and I just realised I didn't have the drive that you need for journalism, like that hunger to go out and talk to absolutely everyone and find even the little stories. And you've got to start off with those little stories when you're like a cadet journalist mm. 
um, to be able to then move to the big ones. Um, Do you remember any of the stories you got given? Uh, yeah, I got one story published um, in a newspaper in Melbourne about a a disabled woman in a um, she was in a wheelchair and she was struggling to get um, a handicapped taxi and there was a real issue um, the number of taxis available um, for people in Melbourne. So it was, it was an interesting story to work on and I spent a week kind of researching and interviewing this woman um, and her family um, and then got the story published, which was kind That's of exciting. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that sort of, you sort of realised then that, you know, you don't want to do that. Yeah, I didn't, I, it kind of, it wasn't really a light switch moment, but um I was then turning more towards book publishing and thinking that I more enjoyed uh, editing rather than going out and writing the stories because um, I thought then if I could get involved in the book book publishing world, then maybe I could start working on my own stuff on the side and I'd be kind of immersed in that world, um, be exposed to great writers and, and learn from that and editors and publishers. Um, and so after university, I got a job in Sydney with a publishing company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there for a year in their production and editorial. Uh, unfortunately, it was not a great year for book publishing. Um, so that was around the GFC. Um, a big uh, company called Red Group folded. So they shut a lot of um, bookstores and a lot of um, publishing companies were downsizing. So while I was there, I, my job thankfully was safe, but um, they ended up cutting down from four sales teams to two. So wow. it was literally you, people were carrying their boxes of things to the lift, which was not very nice. And then after that, it just wasn't a very nice atmosphere to be working in. So I decided I was still interested in editing, but I... Um, didn't really want to be in that environment. So I went, moved back to Melbourne and went back to uni and studied professional writing and editing. So that kind of was to give myself formal editing training, but it also had a really um, strong creative writing stream as well. Um, so I could work on that and it was um, kind of a nice time to work out then what I wanted to do. At this time in your life, what was the in your, you were thinking like, oh, if I get this or if I do that, then I know I've made it as an author or a writer. Is there anything, I know when I was growing up, I'm like, oh, you know, if I ever win an award for some ad or something, like <laughs> that's when I'll know that I'm good at what I do and it was all worthwhile. Was yeah. there any big dreams at this age that you had? Oh, I mean, I think it does change over time. I think always in the back of your mind, if you want to be a writer, you want a book published. <laughs> so that would be nice to hold that um, in your hand. Um, but I think even just getting a short story published and I was lucky enough to to get one published in, in an anthology um, just at the end of my uni career. So that was exciting and, and it does, you do need a certain level of validation, I think, just to know that you're on the right track. Yeah. Particularly, I think, as you spend a lot of time in your head, um, 
the course was great because we were workshopping all the time. So you had external feedback, which is really crucial. Um, but to actually get something published in out there in the open is is really exciting. Like you said, self-validating or just someone acknowledging that what you've done is good. Yeah, yeah. I find with acting when I do acting, like you never actually get anyone that says, yeah, that was really good yeah. or nice work. It's always just picking out the stuff that's not working. Yeah. Um, did you ever find in that sort of editorial space that you were working in that that's all you were doing was just critiquing the bad stuff and how did that sort of make you feel about writing? Oh, definitely. And I still find that in, in work and you have your you have your good days where because in the real world it's not like school, they're not gonna just pat you on the back and highlight all the, the good things you're doing. Um people are being constructive. <laughs> so um yeah, we were definitely and we had quite big workshop groups of almost 20 people, which was quite intimidating when they're all reading your piece and analysing it. And if it's, if all the feedback is quite maybe, well, not completely positive, mm. <laughs> then that can kind of weigh you down a little bit. Um, I think though, and it would probably be the same with your acting, you need to just develop a thick skin and it's it's good for that. So you may feel crappy at the time, but in the long run, it's good to go through a bit of that. Yeah, um, definitely. And then like in the workplace, you're always going to have ideas that are knocked back. Um, so I think it kind of prepares you for that as well. Um, and then and then I think it, it does mean a lot more when you do get the positive <laughs> feedback. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I do, I do think it also helps you um, assess kind of what is constructive feedback and what you're actually going to take on board um, and what you can kind of push to the side. I think that's a really good point because a lot of the time like people are giving you feedback and it could just be their own personal gripe or, mm. you know, they've got something on their, on their mind and they're not really there 100%. How do you sort of differentiate between, yeah, that's a, good piece of criticism and that I'm just going to let lay by the wayside. And are there any sort of key pieces of criticism or feedback positive as well that have stuck with you over the time? Oh, <laughs> um, I think it completely depends on the type of content that I'm working on, um, the situation, who's giving the feedback to, um, so if it's someone that I respect and that, um, has a lot of experience and I, I value their feedback, I'm probably going to take that on board more so than someone that may not have as much experience, um, working with content or in that area. Um, I think everything is worth listening to. Um, and then it's a matter of, I think you have to be your own kind of subject matter expert to a degree um, and be able to know what you're writing about enough to be able to filter through and, and work out what's relevant and what you can take on board and how so you can improve the content. Um, I think that's where like user research in my current work has been really helpful um, just by 
kind of seeing how people react. So you can get great feedback from, say, a very experienced editor or an experienced content strategist. And you might take that on board, but then putting it in front of the people that are going to be using that content and reading it and seeing how they interact. I think it's about kind of combining that feedback together and finding a happy medium. Do if you, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> Do you find it harder to sort of agree or accept feedback when it's in your personal space on like a pet project you're working on opposed to a piece of work that you're sort of getting paid to do? Is there a different mindset in? Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think think that's why work has been really good for my own personal work because you do need to step back and, and treat it like professional work. You can't Um, keep it too close to you otherwise it will never improve it will always kind of be the same level and you need that external feedback um, I think to to grow and to to learn and develop a piece Um, yeah I think especially like working in design and coming through this space you can sort of tell a good creative person or a designer or a writer by their ability to to let go of what they're working on. Mm. I always find like the juniors are so tied to their idea or to what they've created that it almost gets in the way of making it or improving it. Have you ever been in that situation where you've had to really tell someone that like it's a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> and um, like taking everything you know and trying to give someone feedback with that? Because I always have this idea that I'm not qualified to give feedback. Like yeah, why am yeah. I telling this person? Yeah. But obviously something inside you telling you that it's wrong. Yeah. Oh, I think that just takes time and experience to get to that stage. Um, And I think a bit of empathy, if you've been in that junior position, you know what it feels like. I think that just actually reminded me of this work experience I had at the newspaper. So I wrote this article and I took it to an editor and I'm sitting next to him and he, he, he edited it. He did his job, but on the Me spot. at the time, I'm thinking, oh, he's just rewriting the whole thing. He should at least put his name on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's just doing his job and that's um, and he was helping me. Um, and that was a really good lesson to step back. He's far more experienced than I am and it was a much better, better piece in the end. Um, but I think it, delivery of, of feedback is, is a really important one when you're talking to people who are holding something close to their chest. Um, yeah, I think once we've been in that situation, you you can kind of understand what they're, what they're going through. I just have this mental image of you, a young Liz, walking into an office with this <laughs> overweight guy smoking a cigar, feet up on the table and just a red pen <laughs> over the whole paper. It was almost like yeah. that. <laughs> I was not in a good mood after that, <laughs> but it was a very good lesson. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with that post sort of feedback and criticism and, and how do you distill it in a way that actually ends up becoming beneficial and not sort of just being like, oh, I'm not even going to do that anymore or work on that? Yeah. Uh, I think if it's something that I'm, that's really close to me and, and say I was a bit, um, disgruntled after hearing it. Uh, I think space is is good and really important. Um, 
leaving it for a little bit and then coming back to the feedback and then really looking at it with a kind of more objective eye um, because I think if you're in a, a bad mood and you're going straight from that feedback, you're really not going to be assessing it um, properly. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's important. And then I think also if if it's something that you're you're really unsure about or, or really disagree with, you can always have a chat with that person again. Um, and that's, I think, the good thing about time and experience. You get good relationships with the people who are giving you this feedback um, and they would probably appreciate you going back and having another chat with them because you're really thinking about the feedback that, you've given, that they've given yeah. to you. That's good advice. <laughs> I should probably practice that. <laughs> um, so... Sort of we're in Melbourne now, you finished a degree, um, what's next? Because you end up back in Canberra. Yeah, so before I got to Canberra, I actually moved to Darwin Ooh. Um, for a little stint and that actually was the first job that introduced me to website editing. So that really was pivotal to where I am now. Um my partner at the time was living up there, so um, kind of moved up for a change of scenery and managed to get a job. They were doing a big revamp of the Northern Territory Government website, um, so I joined as an editor and it was just a great project to work on because um, they were really following the standards set by the UK government, mm -hmm. um, so kind of really considering things like accessibility, um, plain English. Um, really like the fundamental elements of content design, um, which was great because I could just see that this was improving this content phenomenally. Um, and I was working with a really great team of very experienced kind of journalists and editors and people from kind of all walks of life in different, with different experiences with content. Um, so I did that for a number of years. Um, working with them. So I worked with them for six months in Darwin and then we moved back to Melbourne and I worked with them remotely for another 18 months or so. And then I was finding it a little bit tough working remotely um, as there was just me and one other editor working remote, mm -hmm. um, which is an interesting one um, because I'm working remotely now and just seeing how we did it back then. Um, being on a phone in a meeting in the middle of the table is just not an ideal way of kind of feeling involved and feeling part of the team. Um, yeah, anyway, we can talk about that <laughs> <laughs> later. Anyway, and then um, so I kind of decided that I, I, I saw a job with the Digital Transformation Agency and we'd been looking at um, the guidelines that they'd set and I was really impressed by the work that they were doing. Um, so I, I went for that and, and I got that in Canberra um, and, yeah, so I kind of went full circle. Um, it was where I grew up, so I was quite intrigued to move back there. It was closer to the coast, closer to the mountains, and yet I could still get back to Melbourne if needed. It just kind of sounded like a nice change. Mm. So when you're in Darwin and you're like sort of starting to understand this whole UK DTA sort of content and how mm -hmm. we should write. How did that like influence or change 
your idea of um, like writing and, and literature and the idea that we have to bring it all down a level but then on, on the other side you're writing a book and you like want to use big words and creative words and really sell the scene. How do you sort of set up for a piece of content on a web opposed to like some big bulky juicy literature <laughs> that you sort of want to deep dive into? Yeah, I think that's such a good question. Um, I think it's taught me so much about writing and writing clearly and simply um, and I've taken a lot of what I've learnt from those days um, even into what into how I write um, literature as well because you don't need the really big fancy words. People just want to hear the story um, and so often in first drafts it's easier to overwrite and just kind of get it out all on the page and then going back, I always cut down because you really don't need those additional words in sentences. It just bogs people down, particularly nowadays when people um, kind of their attention spans aren't, aren't as good as they used to be. Like it takes a lot to get someone to commit to reading your book. So you really want the story to sell itself. So you don't want to be bogging it down with really long words unless you're using them really, really well. And I think sparingly because then they kind of have more impact. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I've, I've definitely used the editing that I, editing skills that I learnt while I was in Darwin um, in my writing today and I've refined that over time. Is what they say true that you need? There's like three books to get one book, is that? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... This is kind of my second attempt. Okay. So there you go. I'm almost there. <laughs> almost one more go. <laughs> yeah. um, so this book that you're writing now, yeah, you said you've been going for a while, second attempt. How many years has it been? Oh, so I had a draft for one that I started at university, like the second degree, mm -hmm. so when I was doing professional writing and editing. So as part of that course, we had a novel subject. Um, so... I started working on a novel there and I think I got to about maybe 30,000 words um, and I still might go back to it mm -hmm. but I kind of would chip away at it at times when I have found the space for it, um, kind of balancing it with full-time work um, and then after a while I realised that's it kind of wasn't a topic that I really wanted to dig into anymore. Um, so I was thinking quite a lot last year about what I wanted to write about um, and because I had the space at the start of this year, um, I'm diving into something new. So I really, it's kind of been building in the back of my mind but I've only been working on this one since January. And what was the topic of the first book? Um, it was about a couple living in a small town and losing a child to cot death. So quite an intense. Yeah, very <laughs> intense. Um, yeah, and I was kind of enjoying writing it and exercising with and playing around with um, different characters and stories. And I think I learned a lot through the process. So I kind of, I don't have any regrets about doing it and spending the time doing that because I kind of feel like it's it's training. Mm. It's like 
something that an artist would do. It's something that an actor would do. You, you practice before you um, pull out your final um, piece. Yeah. So who knows? I might go back to it at some stage down the track, but um, for now it's on the back burner. <laughs> okay. So when you're writing these pieces, is there something that you like want to change or have an impact on like socially, environmentally? Is there a larger goal behind the story or is it, or is it a way for you to sort of process and deal with life and get that out in like a creative way? Oh, or both? I, think, I think it's a lot of the latter, um, definitely. Um, I am, I'm most interested in um, the human issues. So um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm definitely not writing about political issues or things. I'm more interested in kind of the problems that everyday people have to go through. Um, and so they might not be problems that I'm experiencing myself, but um, that I've kind of heard about or I'm, I'm interested in. Um, I think issues that you're like, wow, I can't believe someone's been through that. I think that's that. It's what makes a good story because you're looking at how resilient people can be and and yeah, I think so it is it is a matter of it is about process, I think, but not only for me, for kind of looking at how communities process with these things as well. And you mentioned earlier like user research sort of plays a part. Do you ever use that to kickstart or to help iron out or, or bring life to an idea in this social injustice or social realm? I've thought about that, but I actually, I haven't. Um, but I have, I have thought about doing that. I'm not sure how I would do that apart from just interviewing people and speaking to people. And I do try and do that um, as much as possible. Um and particularly if people have been through the issues that I'm, I'm working on, I think that's pretty invaluable um, to get their experience and their thoughts. Um, you then also, of course, have to be careful you're not taking what they've told you yeah. <laughs> because I'm not a journalist <laughs> yeah. and that's their story. Um, but I think that, de that definitely helps. Um, yeah, I think I get most of my research through, through reading, um, through things like podcasts and the radio, um, and, and just through talking to people, everyday conversations. Mm. I know with design, like you look at people that are influential in, in the way in which you look for like creative things I do, and then I'll go do something and then I'll look at it, but, oh, I just literally copied <laughs> their piece. Have you ever had that moment in writing where you like love an author and you like I've just written something that like sounds like them or feels like them, their writing? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I think, uh, well, to a degree I shouldn't say. <laughs> not, um, plagiarism. Not a blanket. Um, plagiarism, yeah. No, I think definitely if you're reading a certain style, um, sometimes you can end up writing in a similar vein. Um, I think, I think a lot of writers borrow, you, you kind of, you don't have to, but, um, if someone's doing something really well, it's 
sometimes good to kind of use that element in your own writing to to boost it. And I don't think that's a bad thing. No. And like we do that in design as well. If someone's done it well before, then you would kind of borrow that process or that technique um, so that you can produce something good at the end. Uh, so not plagiarism, but borrowing. It's <laughs> always a good word. And yeah. yeah. um, so with that borrowing and influences, like a book's not done overnight. No. So how do you maintain that like tone and feel to your story, even though you have all these other bits that you're consuming and hearing and, and like how do you not mm-hmm. adapt and pivot the story or change the feel of it halfway through? Yeah, I think that's something that I'm – exploring and learning about at the moment um, because it is such a long journey. But um, I think that's the the number one thing that all writers are looking for is their own voice. Um, and if you're feeling comfortable with a story and kind of progressing it in your own voice, it may borrow elements and style from other people, but you've got your own unique voice. And that's something that's kind of genuine and and comfortable and and authentic um then I think you can kind of carry that all the way through do you feel like you've found your own voice I'm getting there there? okay (laughs) slowly (laughs) is there I don't know never written a book or I don't think I found my own voice (laughs) but is there a moment when you're like how do you know that yeah that's my voice I guess it's probably the same as any industry but yeah, I'd be keen to hear. It's not a light bulb moment. I think it's over time and, and work. I think I definitely have a style of writing now. Um, and it's interesting. I did a writing workshop um, in San Francisco last year and a few people said, oh, yeah, we can always pick your stories because I, mm. so I do now write in a certain way and I find that's, I don't know, I can't write any other way. <laughs> Is that just because you use heaps of Aussie slang? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> G'day, mate. There were very Australian stories. It was funny when people hit words they didn't understand. <laughs> what were some What's of those words? Are you? <laughs> I really want to unpack um, your move to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Like how you sort of, obviously you went over there to work for a pretty big firm. Mm-hmm. Um what sort of feelings were going through your mind and your heart when you sort of feel like, like I'm going to move to San Francisco and and start this new like aspect of your career and your life? Mm-hmm. Oh, so many emotions <laughs> um, because I wasn't really expecting this job opportunity to come up. I was actually doing my best to move down to the coast <laughs> and that was kind of where I saw my journey going. Um, My partner, Rich, got a job down in Marimbula and at the same time this job offer came up in San Francisco. Um, And I think in the end I just thought I would always be wondering what if, like I I don't like to miss out. Mm. (laughs) And I've always, a part of me, I've travelled a lot and I've always wanted to live overseas for a period of time. So I guess I thought, what the hell, what have I got to lose? I'll go over there. If I don't like it in a month, I can come home. Um, and I ended up staying for a year and it wasn't, it was amazing and I have no regrets. Like it wasn't 
easy the whole time, definitely. Um, but I learnt more in a year than having, say, the last five years. So it's yeah, pretty good. <laughs> it was worth it in the end. I know from like when I lived in Canada, the um, the gap between like the haves and the have-nots is so large. And I found it personally very confronting sort of when you first get there. Um, and unfortunately, there becomes like a point where you just get accustomed to it and used to it. And it's only then that coming back to Australia, I realized how sheltered um, most of Australia is compare, comparatively. I just wanted to sort of hear some of your insights from that aspect of like San Francisco. Yeah, um that's so interesting that you raised that because when people ask me about my experience, that that's one of the big things that I noticed. Um, the homelessness situation in San Francisco is out of control <laughs> and um, something that I found incredibly confronting, particularly I was working in a tech company where you've got people in their early 20s and they're on huge money and in this little bubble and then I would go back home to San Francisco and you'd walk, you'd avoid streets because they'd just be tents and drugs and, and like a lot of um, mental health issues as well. Um, it, it was incredibly confronting and it, it made me really think about how sheltered we are here and and really how good a lot of people in Australia have it. The, um, the standard of living is just so much higher um, than it is over there. Um, yeah, I don't think, and it was interesting because everyone that came over from Australia, I had kind of told people about it, <laughs> but um, to actually see it in, in person is, um, yeah, it can be quite confronting. And it is really sad and draining on some days because you, and as like a single woman walking around the city, occasionally it can be quite threatening too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, not, I, I felt completely safe in the city, but you do have to be alert the whole time. Is there anything that you sort of taken from those experiences that are like, coming out in any of your writing today? Yeah, I've written a couple of stories um, about San Francisco and I wrote quite a bit um, just in notebooks while I was over there. I think going back to what you said before about processing it for myself. Um, yeah, because it's, it's really sad and it's overwhelming and you kind of think, what can I do? <laughs> um, apart from maybe giving the leftovers of your dinner to someone on the street. It, like it's good and it's had the same sort of feels, but you almost feel powerless in it anyway. And mm. it's like I can give some money here or do a little bit there, but it's just so, so big and so like, scary, yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of people. You sort of feel hopeless in it. And probably just raising that point, like, I never really had to worry about my safety or, or me walking along like I felt fine and that's probably more to do with my gender than anything else. Um, is there anything that you sort of would want to write about to, to help or change that sort of aspect of gender equality or, or bias? And 
Oh, wow. Um, I think, well, I think just by writing about experiences of, um, say, a, a single woman in a, in a city like that and living there. And I think also moving to the other side of the world by yourself, that's, that's another level of isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where writing's so powerful. It's telling that story so you get that perspective. But, um, gosh, there are so many stories in San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a bounty of them. Um, you mentioned like isolation. Um, is there anything that sort of helps to foster or or get you to be able to write? Like is it, you know, being isolated or is it actually being around people or being busy? You know, some people go to a cafe to sort of write. Some people lock themselves in an attic and what's sort of your go-to? Oh, I think I need to be by myself <laughs> mm. um, and then come back to people and get their feedback and um, – critique things together I think that helps the most and I think even when I'm working in an office um often I'll go away my recent job I'd go away from my desk and there was a little library that I can go and could go and hide away in for a bit and that's was just really nice to be able to kind of get in my own headspace and and dive into something um sometimes I'll listen to music other times just quiet um, is good. Um, if I'm listening to music, words never help because <laughs> it's just kind of conflicting with what you're trying to write on the page. Um, so I don't know. I just tend to listen to kind of electronic music that doesn't have any words or classical or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've moved back to Marimbula now. Um, do you think that's been beneficial in getting you to where you want to be for the next part of your life? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Marimbula is my happy place. Okay. <laughs> um, I think because it's kind of got the nice balance of I can get my own space here, you can then go for a walk along the beach. It's a really nice community um, and I'm quite lucky that I now have contacts with work that I can um, pick up work remotely Mm -hmm. and thankfully things have changed a lot since my Darwin days so you know we can do video conference calls and and um it really kind of can seem like someone's just down the road um rather than in another city um and my last job we had video conference meetings with people that were in the building next door so it didn't really matter where you were yeah okay uh, so it's, it's nice to kind of, and I'm still settling in a bit, but, um, it will be nice to find that balance between doing a bit of remote work and then focusing on, um, the writing as well. So sort of just to start to wrap up, mm-hmm. um, with your personal writing, how do you actually like seek that feedback or, or get people to be part of that journey with you when it is such a like isolating and, and self task Mm -hmm. um so I've kept in touch with a couple of people that I did this workshop with in San Francisco last year so they've been really helpful at providing feedback we were meeting up once a month and just taking a piece in and critiquing it um my next 
job here, though, would be to find a little writer's community. And I think there is a writing community based down here. Um, so it would be good to connect with them um, just to meet up and get regular feedback and and also just to talk to other writers that are in a similar situation, spending mm. lots of time alone and then <laughs> <laughs> wanting company. <laughs> um, so on that like connection space, is there any way that like writers or, or people out there in this sort of creative space that could get in contact with you? Like through LinkedIn or Instagram or? Uh, I'm not on Instagram. Well, <laughs> I'm not an avid, I'm not a, I'm not big on social media, but I am on LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> well, um, we'll po- post a link to your, to your LinkedIn page and if people want to reach out. Yeah, Maybe definitely. They, especially in the mar- mar- oh, sorry, in the Marimbula area. It is a tongue um, twister. <laughs> <laughs> might be able to start that little yes, community. Yes, that would be great. I would love that. <laughs> um, the final questions, sort of what are the next steps and taking everything you've sort of gone through your journey, what are the key things that you want to hold on to and, and take forward and what are some things that you're happy to let go of? Yeah. Um. Well, it's been interesting at the moment moving to a new place because I've really been trying to get into a proper routine because I think that's the best way to be productive, um, slowly find that community, that writing community, um, and hopefully get that balance between the the content design and, and strategy work. Um, as well as my own writing and keep space for my own writing because in the past I haven't done that quite so well. Well, uh, thanks for joining me on What Created the Creative. It's been, it's been nice to actually sit down and, and talk with you. I probably say this every episode, but you don't often get to indulge and, and actually sit down and talk with someone for an hour. So it's always nice to hear someone's story and and their perspective so thank you thanks for having me it's great